0: For the first half of 2021, I've been focused on the question, why should CEOs and CFOs spend their time and attention on their employee medical benefits? I've asked every guest, and each one of them has said exactly the same thing, because it's ridiculously expensive. Clearly, we have an answer to that question. So I'm going to stop asking that question and call the episodes that focused on it Season 1 of the podcast. It's time for Season 2 and a new focus. But first, let's dig into the lessons of season number one. Hello, and welcome to the Payer Revolution Podcast. My name is Quinn Peterson, and it's my job to help persuade and equip the CEOs, CFOs, and other leaders of U.S. businesses that they have the power to dramatically lower the cost of their employee medical benefit and change the healthcare system as a side effect. In today's episode, I'm going to review the top five things I've learned over the first season of this podcast. I'll provide some sound bites from episodes and thoughts on why these things were surprising to me and why they are important to consider. I'm also going to reflect on the way the things that I've learned this season have changed how I evaluate employment opportunities for myself. I'm going to share this with you even though I am a sample of just one. But I'm not alone, and if your main reason for having benefits is to recruit and retain employees, my experience might be helpful to you. Lesson number one, a health plan is not health care. Back in March, I sat down with Scott Huff, the founder of Epic Surgical, an ambulatory surgical center with a mission to lower the cost of health care. And this mission was inspired by this lesson that health plan is not health care.
1: And what I came to understand through my research is that you can have an insurance policy, you can be covered, but that doesn't translate to care. The fine line or the fine print that most people don't read is how much does that cost me per month to have coverage? How much I'm gonna to have to pay out of pocket before I get care? And so that's the big division right there It's understanding that I have a health care plan. I will have coverage at some point. Most people think that if I have health care, I'm going to be covered. I don't have to worry about anything else. It's far, far, far from the truth. You can have a plan, but can you afford the
0: care? Another guest, Scott Brown, succinctly described the experience for an employee on a high deductible health plan who is paying premiums out of every paycheck.
1: The thing is, so I'm paying $1,200 a month to never use my insurance because I don't have $5,000 to go get an MRI. And I'm going to just put off and I'm just going to call in sick, which increases time off work for people.
0: Let's be clear. If you're offering a health plan with a four, six, or $8,000 deductible and you're not funding an HSA for your employees, they don't have health care. Because they don't have four, six, or eight thousand dollars on hand. Why do some of you have such high deductibles? Because you've been seeing rate increases of five, eight, maybe fifteen percent over the last few years. These are crazy high numbers, and your broker has told you that the way to respond to these unaffordable increases has been to raise the cost to employees through increased deductibles, increased copays, and increased contributions to premiums. These increases have been noticeable to your employees, of course, but it's been kind of a boiling frogs situation because we don't go to the doctor all that often and thus don't experience out-of-pocket pain very often. The gradual nature of these impacts has caused your employees to adapt in almost unconscious ways. But the net result is that they're no longer getting health care. Either they're skipping preventative care or living with pain and illness or scaling back their lifestyle to avoid risk. Now, you don't want your employees doing these things. Skipping preventative care will cost you more later. Living with pain and illness means they're not as productive as you need them to be. And scaling back their lifestyle out of fear takes the joy out of life. It robs them of the rewards of productive work and is so demotivating. It will also make them resent you. Why? Because when you hired them, you told them you provided health benefit. And that implies that they would have health care. And they're going to see this as a broken promise and you as the breaker of promises. And by the way, the lesson here is not that high-deductible health plans are bad. They're not. In fact, it's going to be my choice for any coverage I have in the future. But the high-deductible health plan is a tool. The end goal of your medical benefit is not to provide your employees with a health plan. It is to enable them to get health care. Lesson number two. Benefits that get used are cheaper than benefits that don't. In May, I talked to Scott Brown, the CEO of Sterling Urgent Care. We already heard one knowledge bomb from him, but here's another.
1: I want my employees to use it, and I I want them to be healthy and not put off their health care. and so we pay these ridiculous, goofy wellness programs, but they never visit with a provider. They fill out a form, and it comes back and says, I'm at risk for heart disease, and then I go in and get a five-panel blood test. Uh, It costs me probably $10, but I can bill up to $900, and the employer still has to pay it. Mm Well, instead, if I had a membership, it's like, we'll go down and get Serling and have a full-blown physical. And they come in and they get a physical. And when I'm in there and it says, well, Scott, your blood pressure kind of high. Well, knowing that I don't have a copay or anything else and I've got unlimited visits, I can come back and you, you dispense some meds for $10. I'm probably going to manage my blood pressure. And they, they develop a relationship with a provider, not the HR not anybody else. It's separate. They're managing their health. And that's the best way to keep your workforce happy is that they have to have access. And right now, insurance doesn't give them access because of the premiums and the deductibles.
0: And we know that this is the case. Taking care of a problem through primary care when it isn't an emergency is way cheaper than taking care of it in the ER or in surgery. But check out this exclamation point from John Anderson of Motive Health, who I also interviewed in May. the the typical uh, stereotype in insurance is you can't wait till October
1: because by then you've generally met your deductible and now it's a run on the bank and just go get every procedure that you you ever want. Well, what's that going to do to your company's premiums?
0: They're they're, they're going to go up. But when you're consistently just going where you you need a procedure, when you need it, I mean, we want people to use their health care. So big drivers of cost are delaying care until the problem is acute and having such high deductibles that employees cram every possible procedure into a year that they're going to meet their deductible. And that sends your claims through the roof and triggers a huge increase the following year. Both of these problems are exacerbated when you put more out-of-pocket costs on your employees. So how do we reduce out-of-pocket costs? Well, three ways I've heard from guests so far this season are health savings accounts, on-site clinics, and memberships. We haven't yet covered health savings accounts and on-site clinics in depth, but we will in season two. We did cover memberships extensively in the episode with Scott Brown. Your employees fill out-of-pocket costs much more keenly than they fill payroll deductions, which is why they make healthcare decisions based primarily on their out-of-pocket costs. Anything you can do to lower out-of-pocket costs will smooth out healthcare usage, and smooth, normal, needed usage saves money for everyone down the road. This leads to lesson number three. When you manage claims, the premiums take care of themselves. This lesson was really brought home in an interview in February with Dennis McCormick of McCormack Insurance Consulting. The motto on his business card is manage claims not premiums.
2: So the difference is in a fully insured plan you're really managing the premiums by changing the plan design because you have no data as to how your employees are using the product and you so you have no data to better manage uh, facilitating them and driving them to be better consumers. So what does an employer do to manage the rising costs? They change the deductible. They move from 500 to 1000 to 2000 to 5000 to 8000. And so you're really just managing
0: premiums. So managing premiums is really a reactive activity. It happens after the year is over, after your employees have incurred costs and after the insurance underwriters have determined how close those claims got to eating into their profit margin. Also, when you're managing premiums, you're limited to the plans presented by your brokers. When you manage claims, on the other hand, you can act proactively to prevent costs from occurring in the first place. And you'll have many more ways to manage claims, including incentivizing the use of low-cost facilities, making use of private providers and memberships to keep claims from ever appearing on your plan, and even things like this counterintuitive strategy to reduce pharmacy claims. Here's
2: another area that has really impacted the cost of healthcare, and that's prescription medications. So, um, almost 30 years ago when I started in this business, if you could get any claims data on a group, pharmacy claims represented about 3% of total cost. Today, it's 30 35%. At night, if you watch television, all of the ads at night are the high-dollar medications, Embryol, Humira. You're talking $8,000 to $10,000 a month per medication. We've got clients that have employees using $20,000 a month medications. So how do you control that cost? So in a partial self-funded plan, we found that if we exclude specialty medications from the medical plan and the employees don't have access through the plan, the pharmacy manufacturers have financial programs available to people that don't have access. So if you listen to the ads at night, you'll hear a disclaimer at the end that says, if you can't afford your uh, prescription, AstraZeneca or whoever the manufacturer is can help. They all have financial support. So by excluding that medication from the plan, those people can qualify for the financial support and get get the medication at zero cost And the employer has now removed that from the
0: cost of their health plan. Every time an employee makes an insurance claim, that information is recorded and analyzed by the insurance carrier to see how it affects their profit. Too many claims or claims that are larger than they expected will lead to higher rates in the future. And once rates go up, they don't come back down. What I've learned from both Dennis and from Scott Brown is that it is possible to manage claims and to manage them in such a way that certain employers can reasonably expect to have entire years in which no claims are made. And when no claims are made, costs don't go up. Lesson number four, involve spouses in benefits planning and education. Remember lesson number two, you want your employees using their benefits because it's cheaper in the long run and you want them to use them wisely because that's the key to managing claims but often the person who needs to understand and make decisions about healthcare is not at your open enrollment meeting
1: but the key insight is when you go in there most of the employees you know in in a lot of the workplaces that we're at are mostly men and they're like yeah so what And we didn't have any participation until we decided when we'd send Sammy out that would do the rollouts. They would sit there with all the employees and they're like, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Now we do the rollouts with the spouses. So when they come in and they find out what kind of a benefit this is, all of a sudden, because they make all the appointments for their kids... They make all the appointments for their husbands. And and so that's when we got maximum exposure is all of a sudden we were orienting the wrong people. We weren't using the people that made all the decisions and that were utilizing it
0: and had to navigate it. Educating the end user of your employee health care is key to making your program more useful, more efficient, and more appreciated. Here's John Anderson again. You know, I've found in doing marketing for for years and years and years, specifically in the healthcare industry, most people when they get a job, yes, how much am I gonna get paid is an important conversation to have with your your spouse when you go home. Hey, what are we getting paid? What's the job offer? But the most important thing to most spouses is what insurance do we have? Do we have insurance? One more lesson about spouses. They are a powerful influencer on your employee. For most employers, the health plan is an important recruiting and retention tool. But the employee or candidate is not the only one making the decision about whether to take your job or stay at your job. If you have convinced your employee that they have good benefits, but you haven't convinced the spouse chances are that employee is going to be looking for a new job with better benefits. And by better, I mean better in the opinion of their spouse. By the way, do you know what your employees' partners value most? I have a hunch that they don't care about your foosball table or your cereal bar. If your employee population has a lot of families and you want to retain those employees, it might be worth your time to survey your employees' partners about what benefits are important to them. Lesson number five is one I would never have suspected if I hadn't heard it from multiple guests. Primary care is now a commodity. Now, I wouldn't have guessed this because I'm older and I've been going to the same primary care doctor for more than 20 years. He's old school, actually looks me over, asks how I'm doing. He's so old school, in fact, that he still delivers babies. I think that many of us who are older still believe the idea that people have doctors, Which is why a politician thought to promise that if you like your doctor, you could keep your doctor. But the new truth is a lot of people don't have a doctor anymore. The primary care experience isn't what it used to be. And many patients today value convenience over an interaction with a person that they might see for 10 minutes once a year. Again, here's Scott Brown.
1: And urgent cares have become kind of the new delivery model moving forward in the country. And here's the reason why is one, it's you know it's my personal belief and experience that women make all healthcare decisions and they shop different than men. And for them and today's customer is no longer content to be scheduled for an hour or to come in two days later and they wanna to go to one place and stop. And so it's kind of replaced the family practitioner in the fact that when you go there, Oftentimes you get referred out for labs because they don't have them or they don't have x-rays or they don't have medications, they don't have case managers, they don't do work comp. Whereas an urgent care is kind of an emergency room without the emergency and they handle, like we've said, 96% of most of the claims
0: that come through the healthcare system in a year. Now I'm not sure there's a real takeaway here other than that your employees might not be concerned about keeping quote unquote their doctor as you might think. This might open up doors for changing networks, although almost all doctors are contracted to almost all networks, or moving to an urgent care model. I guess the real lesson here is don't assume that the benefit you're offering to your employees is actually valuable to them just because it's valuable to you. If you are working hard and expending resources to keep them in the same network, but they're more interested in convenience, you're probably missing an opportunity to give them something they value. So those are the five surprising lessons I've learned from the first half of 2021 from talking to experts on this podcast. Now I'm going to take a moment to share how what I've learned has changed my thinking about my employment going forward. As I said, I'm a sample of one, but I know I'm not alone. And as the cost of healthcare climbs, I think more people are going to feel the way I do. How do I feel? Well, I now feel that employer-sponsored health care is a terrible deal for employees. And that's largely because employers are so bad at setting up their employee medical plan. And why should employers be good at this? Employee health care is intentionally confusing, with lots of people making lots of money on inefficiency and confusion. And as you know, it's hard enough just running a company. Asking you to have health care expertise is way too much but that doesn't matter to me as a job seeker. Now that I've seen what's really going on in the benefits space, I'm in no hurry to be an employee of a company that does a poor job at this key task. As I've written on the website, a previous employer signed a contract obligating me to forego up to $21,600 in annual compensation, pay 20% of any costs above my deductible, and accept any fees charged by in-network providers, a network that I didn't choose. Honestly, I feel like I'm doing better on my own. And it's not just the money. How you do anything is how you do everything. And an employer who doesn't do a good job at setting up their benefits, which are, let's list them here, a key recruiting and retention program, a driver of company culture, and a huge cost center, an employer who's not doing those things well is probably doing a lot of other things badly. And life is too short to work at companies that do things badly. And here's something I didn't know before. Not every company is doing this badly. Some of them are doing it really well. And so can you, if you make it a priority. So that's a summary of what I'm calling season one of the Payer Revolution podcast. I think we've established in this season of episodes that employee medical benefits are too big a cost not to pay attention to. I think we've also established that change is in the air and that there are tools available to make significant savings possible. Finally, we've also established that U.S. business leaders have allies in the struggle to revolutionize health care. In Season 2, I'm going to put aside the question of should business leaders pay attention to their medical benefits and look more at the tools that they can use to do so, and we'll talk with people who have done it. If you have questions you'd like me to ask, please head over to PayerRevolution.com and do so. While you're there, you can look around at other episodes, resources, and articles to help you change the way you do employee healthcare. And until next time, Viva la Revolución!